time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. I think i got to change the opening from uh, financial advice you could take to the bank. I don't want to take anything to the bank <laughs> anymore. People are taking it the other way. Anyway, hello, my friends. Thanks for joining us for today's two-hour edition of The Financial Physician, where we talk money, markets, politics, and anything that affects your life and anything I feel like talking about. Uh, how you doing, Paul? Doing good, Lou. Uh, you know, Paul came in today and said, Lou, I, I counted. How many big stories did you count this week? At least 12. <laughs> At least 12 big stories. Uh, there's so much happening, uh, so much to talk about here on The Financial Physician. Two hours, uh, probably not enough time. It never is anyway. Uh, but... Uh, I have to actually prioritize all these things that are happening here and decide how uh, how we approach it. Let's talk about what happened um, uh, this week, just in a financial realm. Uh, we had uh, the GDP come out uh, weaker than expected. Uh, we had um, the failure uh, of the second biggest bank in the history of the United States on Monday. We talked about First Republic Bank last Sunday. Uh, and Monday morning, uh, they were gone. Uh, we'll talk in detail just in a minute about that stuff and what's going on in the banking system. The banking system in the United States and, and, and in Europe, too, is collapsing as we see it. It is a slow, controlled demolition. Uh, and we'll dive deep into that in just a second. What else did we have? We had the Federal Reserve meeting this week and raising interest rates again, one quarter of one percent. Uh, and uh, I, I don't think they're done, to be quite honest with you. Uh, then we have uh, Janet Yellen coming out and saying that the United States will be out of cash by June 1st, which is three weeks from today, and the debt ceiling is a big deal. We had the jobs report on Friday, which is the biggest fudge number ever. Uh, if you believe that the, the, the we're um, – uh, surprising to the upside on jobs every, every every month. We'll talk about how that's so manufactured. Uh, it's a joke. We have the stock market going sideways, basically whistling through the graveyard, which is amazing in and of itself. Uh, we have major retail stores closing uh, around the country, including Burger King's closing 400 stores. Oh, my God. Uh, have it your way. Um, <laughs> I guess not. Uh, Remember the old, it takes two hands to handle the Whopper. I love Whoppers. I'd be upset. I haven't had a Whopper in probably 15 years, but I love them. (laughs) I haven't been in a fast food store. About 15 years, I I, I lost about 50 pounds. And and since then, I um, have not been, or very rarely, in a fast food establishment. Uh, Maybe I'll live a few more years because I'm not eating that. Garbage. Anyway, we got lots of things going on. So where do we want to start? Let's start out with the Fed meeting because this is the big deal. You know, Wall Street, it's it, it's the biggest thing they, they that affects markets. And uh, the Fed meets every six weeks, this powerful, unelected, 
unconstitutional organization of banks uh, that control every aspect of your life, your ability to be employed, your ability to own or buy a house or keep one, your ability to be able to get a car loan, the ability of businesses to survive, uh, the value of your home uh, is affected by it. Uh, it affects every aspect, obviously, of the economy. Uh, and uh, after 12 years of zero interest rates, the Fed in the last 12 months has aggressively raised interest rates um, in a faster pace than any time in history. Uh, and last year, it had an effect on markets. It it tanked the stock market, depending on any index you're looking at, roughly 20 to 25 percent. Uh, NASDAQ, 33 percent. Uh, it tanked the bond market, who had the worst year probably in history, uh, where the average bond was down about 20 percent, uh, longer dated bonds even more. Uh, that affected the the portfolios of banks, which now are failing in droves. Uh, it's all tied together. The Fed has a lot of power, and uh, including the power to make your savings in a bank disappear. And uh, it's time to end the Fed. Ron Paul has been a big proponent of that for years. End the Fed. Why does the Fed have all this power over us? But the bottom line is they do. So they met and unanimously voted to um, raise interest rates. So 25 basis points. 25 basis points is a quarter of 1%. A basis point is one one hundredth of a percent. So whenever you hear basis points in the business, we call them beeps. The Fed raised 25 beeps. So if you hear anybody talking about beeps, they're talking about basis points and 25 basis points. Now, 25 basis points is nothing. It doesn't really affect much of the economy. It's just a cumulative amount. They're over 5% now, 5 and a quarter percent on the federal funds rate, which a little over a year ago was zero. So that's a pretty big increase, right? Um. So uh, they are steadfast in raising interest rates. Uh, a lot of people in the market were waiting to hear the word pause from him. And, and the Fed releases a statement. And people parse the statement and read, did he change one word in that statement? What does it mean? And then the Fed, a half hour later, 2 o'clock, the second day of the Fed meeting, 2 o'clock, they announced a change in interest rates. They release a statement. That Wall Street reads every word again. And uh, then Jerome Powell, the unelected chairman of the Federal Reserve, comes out and does a press conference where nobody asks him hard questions. Um, And everybody listens to every word he says that. So um, let's look at the language. Now, it did not mention anything about a pause. It said, in determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time, the committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, and economic and financial developments. So this gives the Fed room to either pause or make another rate hike in uh, June. I think June is the next meeting. Now, in the March statement, the phrase on the prior statements, uh, it said ongoing rate increases will be appropriate. It's a big difference. 
as opposed to additional policy firming may be appropriate. There's a change from will uh, will be appropriate to may be appropriate. All right. There's the wiggle room that the Fed has. Okay, in the March meeting, they said will be appropriate, which means it's going to happen no matter what. And now it's may be appropriate. Could it be that the U.S. financial system and banking system is crashing to the ground and burning? Uh, Maybe that will make them pause. You know, we said, you know, on January 1st, when I did my forecast show uh, that the Fed will keep raising interest rates the first half of the year until something breaks. At which point they will reverse policy, start quantitative easing, lowering interest rates again. And things are breaking. What have they broken? They've broken the banking system. At least there's the regional banking system. But they're still raising, which makes one wonder, is there some kind of purpose to what they're doing here? Um. So uh, he comes out and he does his... Uh, uh, press conference. Nothing really came out of that. Uh, typical dribble. I usually don't listen to it because it's Fed speak. He speaks out of both sides of his mouth. Um, so uh, if I had a bet, I think the Fed's going to raise again one more time at least. Um, and why wouldn't he? Uh, we got these bogus reports coming out of the government every day showing the economy to be strong. Stronger than expected. Yeah, right. On Friday, uh, the March jobs report came out. Uh, The second most important news that comes out that affects financial markets is the monthly jobs report. Non-farm payrolls, they call it. And um, surprisingly, well, not surprising to me, uh, but for the 13th straight report, it came in stronger than expected. Now, how does that happen? I mean, economists, you know, who their job is to try to figure this stuff out, have been wrong 13 straight times. And they've been wrong to the downside. I mean, it, uh, every time the uh, jobs report came out stronger than economists were forecasting. And it has a lot of people, scr- st- you know, rubbing their, their, their heads, scratching their head, like, how is this happening? It's happening because it's fudged. <laughs> like everything else in life these days. Everything is fake. Everything is propaganda. Uh, It's not real. Nothing is real. And you'll realize that by the end of this show today, if you don't know that already. So uh, economists were expecting uh, job creation to be 185,000, which would be the lowest amount of jobs created since 2021. And they expected unemployment to rise to 3.6%. Um. But they came out and said 253,000 jobs were created, far exceeding the 185. And surprisingly, the unemployment rate dropped to 3.4%. Uh, so what's going on here? Uh, it's all fudged. And people know it. I mean, these are fabricated numbers. And it's done in a way so Biden can come out and say, look how great the job market is. It's all about manipulating the way you think. Nothing to worry about here. Everything's fine. Nothing wrong with the economy. Nothing wrong with the banks. 
you know, everything's fine. We're doing such a great job here, our administration. We should be reelected. So for 13 consecutive months, the payrolls beat expectations. Now, I'm looking at a chart of this, how many times they beat, going all the way back to 1996. Only twice was there five consecutive reports that beat expectations. 1996, almost 30 years. Now we have 13 consecutive months. Every single month, it's better than expected. But let's look a little bit under the hood. All right. Um, We see the previous months quietly revised lower. All right. Let's go back. The March number was revised sharply lower from a consensus beating 236,000 jobs. Economists expected 230 to a huge miss of 165,000 jobs. They revised it down. What is this? Uh, 70-something thousand jobs. Now let's look at March. There's more. Uh, March was revised lower by 78,000 jobs from 326,000 to 248,000, which also would have missed below economists' expectations. So with these two revisions here, uh, employment for February and March is combined 149,000 lower than previously reported. Let's go to January. That was revised down, too. So you see what they do? They announced a better-than-expected number. Biden comes running out saying how great the economy is, and then a month or two later, they revise them down to where they look awful. This is how you're manipulated. And the funny thing is, markets react to it. The Fed reacts to these numbers as if they're real. Uh, most uh, economists expected a drop in wages, but the BLS once again decided to show the data in the best light possible for Biden, saying average hourly earnings rose 4.4% from 4.2, above the estimate of 4.2. So what they're saying here is that uh, for the month of April, a remarkable half of 1% increase in wages didn't happen. But it doesn't matter if it happened or not. It's what you believe, what they want you to believe. Meanwhile, we have corporation after corporation announcing layoffs. We have uh, businesses. You know, we've had 71 major bankruptcies this year so far. The second highest in history for a year. The highest was, um, I think it was 2008, there was... uh, 300 bankruptcies. The second highest was 71. This is for an entire year. And right now, um, uh, we're at 70. Just after four months. That's only through April. My guess is this year may be the biggest year for bankruptcies. And we're seeing it in in major, especially retail right now, and banking, I guess. Um, We're seeing it in uh, Bed Bath & Beyond is closing. Jenny Craig is closing. David's Bridal is closing. I mean, we can go on and on. There's there's all kinds of bankruptcies going on out there. People don't need to go to stores anymore. You're going to hear next, you know, Kohl's. You're going to hear all these big, big retail box stores closing. You even have Walmart closing stores. 
Uh, and that's going to have a lot of ramifications, A, on jobs, but more importantly, on all this commercial real estate debt. You think the banks are in trouble now. Wait till you see what happens later this year as hundreds of billions of dollars of commercial real estate loans come due. And meanwhile, you have strip malls with empty stores in it. You have major office buildings in cities, mainly Democrat-controlled cities, half empty. Uh, we have major problems coming down the line here. Uh, and as I said, even, even Burger King's closing 400 stores. Now, they have um, 7,000 stores, so 400 is going to bankrupt the company. Not yet, anyway. But a lot of people now are pushing back because due to inflation, we're seeing these fast food establishments uh, raising their prices a lot. You know, fast food used to be a great cheap alternative, right, to get calories into your life. Too many calories for most of us, but uh, not everybody now can afford a $9 hamburger. Um, and many uh, many customers at McDonald's and Burger King um, are just uh, not doing it. Oh, also, yeah, Burger King did go woke a little bit there, and I think that has some effect on it. Uh, for Pride Week, uh, they had a picture of two burgers. It says, time to be proud. Proud Whopper. So I guess the, I'm not eating a gay Whopper, are you? <laughs> no, that'll probably get me in trouble. <laughs> gay Whopper. Oh, God, let's see. All right, so let's sh- shift back to the banking system. Uh, we're witnessing uh, a collapse uh, uh, not seen uh, since the Great Depression, and, and, and we'll see that. We've already had... Um, just so far in 2023, going by the value of deposits, we've had the biggest banking collapse in history. More money in banks have been re- uh, taken into the Federal Reserve uh, than in 2008. And again, it's early May. I think how quick this is happening. I mean, it was just, what, 60 days ago when it was Silicon Valley Bank was the first to fail. Then we had Credit Suisse over in Europe, the behemoth, uh, I think it's second largest bank uh, in Europe. Uh, Then we had Signature Bank. Uh, Now we have First Republic Bank. First Republic Bank is the second largest bank in the history of the United States to fail. It was the 14th largest bank in America December 31st, four months ago. And, uh, And they're falling like dominoes. Now, um, so what happened with them? The same old story. I mean, it started with, um, it started with, uh, let's say, Silicon Valley. And I explained to you the mechanism here. All right. You know, a bank, what is a bank? All right. You know, they have assets and liabilities. All right. Assets are loans. Assets are investments that they have, bonds, derivatives, car loans, mortgages. Those are assets. Liabilities are deposits. So, uh, you know, they got to balance like any other business. They have to balance liabilities and assets or they're out of business. Well, a big portion of the assets of a bank is bonds. And if they're paying you half of 1%, 
interest on your savings account and they put it in a 2% 20-year bond, well, things are great as long as interest rates don't go up. And uh, that's what um, that's what happened last year. Interest rates went up. The value of bonds went down. At the same time, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, the name implies that it deals mainly with tech companies, and it does, right? Tech companies were having trouble raise capital last year in a bad market, so they were basically using their savings. You know, tech companies burn money like crazy. I mean, when you're developing research development and everything, you're not selling anything yet. You're developing the technology. It costs money. And you're always raising money. So a lot of these big tech companies were burning money and taking the deposits out of Silicon Valley Bank to fund their operations. Well, Silicon Valley Bank had to start selling these bonds that were depressed and realizing these losses. And banks have a very good accounting system. They can value their assets, meaning their bonds, their loans, at full value until they have to sell them. So if you have a, a, a $50 billion in U.S. Treasury bonds and interest rates went up rapidly and now those bonds are worth $30 billion, you can still value them as $50 billion. I can't do that. I can't take my net worth statement and say, well, my brokerage account, you know, it used to be 100000 now it's seventy, but I, I'm going to value it, honey, as 100000 We still have 100000 No, we don't. But that's the, 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 the fudging accounting that banks can do. So there is um, $22.9 trillion in assets in banks. That's commercial real estate loans, residential real estate loans and mortgages, um, uh, credit cards, uh, other consumer debt, cash on hand, trading assets. Uh, But $4.153 billion uh, is in U.S. Treasury and mortgage-backed securities. And this is where the problem lies. Uh, what's their asset side? $15.3 billion in deposits, uh, $1.85 billion in uh, large deposits, uh, and so forth. So now these depositors are either fleeing the banks because they're concerned about the safety of their money, especially if it's over $250,000, the FDIC insurance limit, and they're taking their money out, A, because they're afraid they're going to lose it. But also they're taking the money out because the banks are paying them nothing and they could put it in a U.S. Treasury money market mutual fund risk-free at 4.5% now. That's right, 4.5% now, you know, because the Fed raised interest rates a quarter. It was 4 and a quarter. Not a bad thing to get a risk-free return of 4.5% and not have to worry about FDIC. My bank, is, is my bank good? Is it bad? Who knows? I mean, you know, Monday your bank could be fine and Friday could be gone. <laughs> That's how quick it's happening. And uh, we've never seen anything like this where, where banks are seeing assets flee to the extent. And the more you hear about these stories of banks failing, the more concern Americans get about their savings. Survey came out this week. This is very telling. of Americans are worried about their money's safety in U.S. banks, more than during the peak of the 2008 Lehman crisis. 
The financial system, my friends, is all about confidence. It's a con game. (laughs) That's what it is. It's all about confidence. Do you have confidence? If I don't have confidence in a company, I'm going to sell their stock. And the stock goes down. If I don't have confidence in a currency, I'm buying gold. And the value of the currency goes down, or I'm buying a foreign currency, or I'm buying real estate. I'm getting out of the currency. That's going on right now. If I don't have confidence in my bank, I'm taking my money out. And shortly, uh, and, and, and here you have 48%. Half of Americans are worried about the money, and the other half probably don't own the TV and don't know what's going on. It's amazing how many uh, Americans are willfully, willfully ignorant about everything, about politics, uh, about the basics of money and markets and how things work. Uh, almost 20% are very concerned about their money, and 29% are moderately worried. 30% are not too worried, and 20% are not worried at all because they don't have any money. <laughs> that's that's the 20% that don't care. Right, Paul? If you don't have any money, what are you worried about the bank failing? Uh, I'm worried about the, the $300 in my savings account may be gone. My life would be over. My retirement gone. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, anybody with money is worried. And let me tell you something about people and money. Uh, it's important to them, and they get crazy about it. So if I'm worried about my money in the bank, I'm taking it out. <laughs> And people are doing that. Now, the big banks, um, oh, this is interesting, too. It depends whether or not you're a Republican or Democrat, whether you care about the banks or you're worried about it. Uh, the Republic, 55% of Republicans and 51% of independents say they're at least moderately worried. And 36% minority of Democrats are. Is it that Republicans have money and Democrats don't? Uh yeah, I, I, Democrat people are probably the ones, you know, getting the money from the government every month. So they're not really worried about it. It's the people who have money and save money uh, that really do worry about it. So obviously people are really concerned about their money in the bank. And here's another concerning uh, statistic that came out last week. Uh, money market funds saw $47 billion in inflows pushing the aggregate to a record high $5.31 trillion. That's over $100 billion of inflows in two weeks. $5.3 trillion is in money market funds. Money market funds are largely outside the banking system, right? Yes and no. Some people don't understand money market accounts as well as they need to. And I will give you an education on it so you don't make the mistake that I think a lot of people are making. There's two different types of money market mutual funds, and you get these at banks, brokerages, Vanguard has them, Fidelities, you know, they all, there's tons of money market funds. They're not hard to find. Every mutual fund company has a money market fund or multiple amounts of money market funds. The first one you have is what's called a prime fund or your typical money market fund. These are the most popular. 
These are made up of three different components. U.S. Treasuries, Treasury bills and notes. Bank CDs. So there's the bank. You still got the banking system exposure in some money market accounts. That's a concern. And then you have commercial paper. Commercial paper is loans to companies very short term and is considered during normal times AAA rated safe. And, you know, you hear during crises that the commercial paper market is freezing up, which means that people don't want to lend money to corporations even over 60 days because they're so concerned about the stability of the financial system. And that happened in 2008. And money market funds are supposed to be a dollar share at all times. And the interest varies very, you know, uh, very, it's very volatile because it moves very, very quickly. If the Fed lowers or raises interest rates almost immediately, the yield on money market funds change. Now, it's been changing to the upside. I mean, the Fed raised interest rates a quarter of a point last week. Uh, money market funds now are raising their interest a quarter of a point. But the problem with the prime money market funds is the component of the bank CDs and the commercial paper, which is not guaranteed. Now, money market funds have more than 250000 in a bank accounts, you know, the CDs that they buy. Uh, so they're theoretically not FDIC insured. But if you look at what's happened so far with all the banks that have failed, nobody has lost a dollar of their deposits. Think about that. Whether you had $250,000 or more in a bank, nobody's lost it. Which is concerning to me because why shouldn't they lose it? You're only insured for two hundred and fifty thousand. If the bank fails, too bad. But quietly, when uh, First Republic, see First Republic, has been failing for some time, and it's 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 this is what you call contagion. When people saw what happened to Silicon Valley Bank, they were concerned about their money in other banks. And uh, First Republic, in a very short amount of time, saw $100 billion outflows. Now, these are all California-based banks, you know, because a lot of it has to do with technology industry and the green industry and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, investors have said, hey, wait a second, look what's happened to Silicon Valley Bank, another big bank here in California that's kind of similar as First Republic. Let me get my money out of there. Uh And I don't think we would have had First Republic Bank fail, at least not now, if it wasn't for Silicon Valley Bank failing, because this is what what contagion looks like. Um, And uh, so uh, the Federal Reserve, uh, FDIC, the Fed, and uh, the banks, the bigger banks, got together over the weekend last week and and, uh, had a shotgun wedding, and J.P. Morgan wind up buying... The assets of First Republic Bank. Now, not the bad assets, by the way. The FDIC took that on. It's the good assets. Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan, the largest bank in the country, just got bigger. Now, I've been playing for you. I'm not going to do it again. But I've been playing for you uh, the most famous bank run that we all know, which was the bank run of the Bailey Savings and Loan uh, in the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Back in the 19, what was it, 40s, 30s, whatever it was, right? Where, you know, your money's in Joe's house and blah, blah, blah. And a guy comes in and says, Potter is buying the shares 
You know, 50 cents on the dollar. And everybody's like, let's go to Potter. Well, J.P. Morgan is Potter. Right? They, they always show up. And they clean up uh, the mess of these banks. And they get all the good deposits, all the good branches. And then the FDIC got all the crap. Now, FDIC, quietly, and you don't see too many of these details, FDIC insurance uh, fund got hit for $13 billion. And that includes deposits over 250000 So they, you know, what is the FDIC insurance anyway? Is it 250000 or is it unlimited? We don't know. It depends on the bank. Now, apparently, you know, that $13 billion is going to be paid back to the insurance fund by the banks themselves in an assessment. So, you, you know, you can't say that, well, they had $125 billion, now they have $13 billion less, uh, the fund is being whittled away. No, not yet. Uh, that's We need a bigger bank to fail for that to happen. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, they're going to assess all the banks, and they're going to get their $13 billion back and be f- fully funded again. But J.P. Morgan Chase, as the buyer... Um, can offset unrealized losses of $2.6 billion in these bonds that are underwater from the FDIC. So the FDIC is backstopping those losses, uh, and they have a loss share agreement. So who took over First Republic Bank? Was it J.P. Morgan Chase or was it the FDIC? Well, it's a combination of both. The FDIC, meaning you and me eventually, got the crap and took the losses and J.P. Morgan got all the good stuff. And that seems to be the plan going forward. That um, that the bigger banks are going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, and the small banks are going to disappear. Now, shortly after uh, First Republic failed, uh, we had the Fed meeting Tuesday and Wednesday. And... Uh, just prior to um, the speech, you know, he came to do his news conference, and the first thing that Powell said. Now, 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 recall Jamie Dimon. And by the way, J.P. Morgan, how many, how many felonies have they committed, and how billions of dollars in fines from rigging markets? To, Wall Street is the biggest criminal enterprise there is, uh, and Congress, and the regulators, and the Fed—they're all the same people. I want to talk about RICO. Oh, by the way, yeah, J.P. Morgan was charged in a RICO suit. That's that's what mobsters are charged with in rigging markets. But anyway, uh, J.P. J.P. Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. I'm going to call him J.P. Diamond going forward, or just call him Potter. Um, anyway, what was Potter's first name? Did anybody ever call him besides Mister Potter? Paul, you got to do the research for me. It's, does he have a first name? If anybody knows, call and let us know. If Mr. Potter, anybody knows what his first name was? Was it Jamie? Jamie Potter. <laughs> J.P. Diamond. Anyway, uh, he came out and said that the banking system, this is the worst of it. Uh, First Republic Bank, uh, now it's behind us and everything's fine. Sure it is. All right. So, uh, of course, uh, you know, everybody's coming out and saying uh, everything's fine. Uh, and um, Powell uh started his news conference talking about the banking system. Before discussing today's meeting, uh, let me comment briefly on recent developments in the banking sector. 
Conditions in that sector have broadly improved since early March, and the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. We will continue to monitor conditions in the sector. We're committed to learning the right lessons from this episode, and we'll work to prevent events like these from happening again. The, the banking system is sound and resilient. It's improved a lot <laughs> since then. Yeah, sure, sure it has, uh, Jerome. Sure it has. Everything's fine. Well, I think two hours later, after the markets closed, uh, after hours, first uh, after uh, we saw other banks, Pacific West uh, stock cratered that night as rumors of them being in trouble. Western Alliance, uh, another uh, bank, their stock cratered uh, as uh, deposits are fleeing them. Uh, And... uh, TD Bank, which was going to buy another bank in Texas, I think something Horizon, uh, said, no way, we're not buying this bank. The banking system is too fragile right now. Uh, Their stock cratered. Uh, This is all just hours after Jerome Powell told you how sound and resilient the banking system is. And then you go into the investment banks. Later that day, uh, Morgan Stanley said they were eliminating 3,000 jobs. One news source is claiming that half of America's banks are potentially insolvent at this moment. Uh, Where is that article? Uh, Oh, here it is. Uh, Here's the headline. It's spooky, quote unquote. Stanford professor warns thousands of U.S. banks are potentially insolvent. But the banking system, according to Jerome Powell, is sound and resilient. Everything is a lie. Don't you understand? Anybody who believes anything that you're told on the media or by any uh, politician or any financial institution, assume the opposite. Assume the opposite first. Don't assume that they're telling you the truth. Uh, This professor is um, a professor of finance at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. He presented a grim warning that the regional banking dominoes are falling. In a New York Times opinion piece titled, Yes, You Should Be Worried About a Potential Bank Crisis, here's why. Professor Amit Siru wrote, The fragility and collapse of several high-profile banks are most likely not an isolated phenomenon. A damaging combination of fast-rising interest rates, major changes in work patterns, and the potential of a recession could prompt credit crunch not seen since the 2008 financial crisis. Um, so uh, I've never seen such talk about the safety of banks. So we have 4,800 FDIC-insured banks, or I don't know if they're all insured. There's 4,000 I know for sure is insured. Uh, half of those are technically insolvent right now. Hey, remember what I told you? On paper, they're not insolvent because of the accounting rules that allows them to take their bonds that are down 50% and value them at full value when they mature 20 years from now. But again, people are pulling money out of banks in droves and causing these fictional uh, uh, values to actually be realized uh, as paper as uh, real losses when they have to sell that to provide the money for the deposits. And I said, the next area of concern, which is going to spark a major panic, is the collapse of the commercial real estate situation. It's not good, people. It's really not good.
But uh, according to uh, the head of the Federal Reserve, everything's fine. And he continues to raise interest rates as these markets, as these uh, financial institutions are collapsing. And the question is, is this on purpose? Right, we're going to continue with, uh, with this uh, line of thinking after the break. Don't go anywhere. 732-237-9626 is the call number. If you want to comment on the program, my name is Lou Skatigna. Don't go away. I'm Lou Skatigna, certified financial planner, author, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician. Heard each Sunday morning, 7 to 9, right here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at thefinancialphysician.com. Don't let interest rates, inflation, and market volatility keep you awake at night. Come to my Tom's River office for a no-obligation professional diagnosis of your financial health. I'll review your investments, income taxes, and retirement plan. I'll suggest a comprehensive financial estate plan that will improve your financial health and, most importantly, lower your financial risk during these uncertain times. If you are retired or plan to retire, I will show you strategies designed to increase your income and protect your estate from nursing home costs. Call us at 732-905-8100 and get on the road to a healthy financial future. That's 732-905-8100. Join me Sunday mornings, 7 to 9 for The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 WOBM or listen to the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member of FINRA and SIPC, registered investment advisory service to afford Advisory Group. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. If you're a small business, your expertise is taking care of customers. Our expertise is saving you time and money. We're the state's New Jersey Business Action Center. NJ Back. Get answers about government resources that can help you grow and thrive. From how to be a vendor with government to your business to finding capital. We've got your back at the back. Call us at 1-800-JERSEY-7. That's 1-800-JERSEY-7. This message sponsored by the New Jersey Business Action Center, the New Jersey Broadcasters Association, and this station. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. The following is a paid program. Views contained within do not necessarily reflect those of the staff management or sponsors of Town Square Media. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. All right. Welcome back to our two-hour program, The Financial Physician, where we talk money, markets, and politics and uh if you miss any of the program or you're just not in the mood early Monday, uh, early Sunday morning when we tape the show live here on WOBM, uh, then listen to the podcast. It's available right after the show's over. So let's say 9 o'clock Eastern time Sunday morning, 
The podcast is uploaded, and you can listen to the show anytime at your leisure. And and so many of you uh, do listen to the podcast, and I appreciate you sharing it and sending it out there. People need to know what's going on. As I said before, everything that's reported to you is fake. It's not real. Uh, I try to make it real here. I try to uh, tell you the things that you're not going to hear elsewhere, uh, and uh, it's important. And we're talking about banks, the collapse of the banking system, and, and the things that are going on behind the scenes. You're not going to hear that. Everything's fine. The Federal Reserve is going to tell you that. Janet Yellen's going to tell you that. The president's going to tell you that. The labor numbers are, are fake. Elections are fake. <laughs> Everything is fake. Um. Oh, by the way, uh, I was mentioning uh, uh, Mr. Potter in um, A Wonderful Life, and I was drawing uh, comparisons to Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan, uh, and uh, Paul looked it up. His name is Henry, Henry F. Potter. Now, I don't know if, if his name's ever mentioned on the, sh- on the movie. Do you, you remember, Paul, is it never mentioned? Yeah, uh, I don't I don't remember hearing the name either. So uh, I guess in the book, maybe or in the screenplay or something. Henry F. Pollard is a fictional character. No, he's not. <laughs> he wants he wants J.P. Morgan, um, a villainous robber baron and the main antagonist in the 1946 Frank Capra film. It's a Wonderful Life. And it's portrayed by veteran actor Lionel Barrymore. Uh, Henry F. Potter uh, is his name. And. Uh, it's amazing how you can go back in time and see similarities in things. Uh, and uh, what, did, what did Mark Twain say? Uh, history, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Uh, I always love that, that, that quote. It, it rhymes. Anyway, if you, uh, if you miss any of our program, go to thefinancialposition.com, and you can listen to the show at your leisure. Uh, it's really easy to navigate. Uh, and... Um, uh, Sooner or later, I'm going to get myself in trouble, and I'll only be on the podcast. So if, if you haven't tuned into the show live and you hear music at 7 a.m., go, go to thefinancialphysician.com because that's where the show will be. Uh, anyway, I don't know what's happening there. Anyway, so, uh, so we have the Fed. They raise interest rates. We have a, another bank failure. We have other banks collapsing their stock prices. As You know, that's always the foreshadowing, isn't it? All of a sudden, you see stocks start to crater, and you wonder why. I even see I saw a PNC Bank stock crater at one point this week. I'm like, uh oh, and that's where I have my limited amount of. That's where I do my limited amount of banking, as it is. FDIC came out this week and recommends raising the deposit insurance limit for business accounts. You hear that? Uh, they're trying to prevent uh, this fleeing of capital out of these banks by proposing, uh, well, let's, you know, who has, you know, what entities have most of their money uh, over the $250,000 limit? It'd be businesses, right? Farms and energy companies and, you know, small businesses, uh, companies that have significant payrolls they have to make and everything else. So the FDIC uh, is proposing... Now, you would think about that. Think about this. The organization or entity that insures bank accounts, and uh, you have banks failing all over the place, wants to increase its liabilities <laughs> past the 250000 limit uh, on businesses. Now, uh, 
Why don't they just eliminate the cap altogether? That's what's going to happen. They're going to insure everything anyway, right? Now, ch- uh, changes like uh, what the FDIC is proposing to make unlimited insurance for business accounts must be mandated by Congress, making it highly unlikely that this is going to happen, at least anytime quickly. So uh, is this just, uh, again, a propaganda move to try to make people feel better? And some people out there really believe that the Federal Reserve is trying to cause an economic depression. I mean, everything that they're doing, I mean, look what they're doing. We got banks collapsing. We got the bond market collapsing. We got commercial real estate market imploding. Home sales are plunging. Large companies are laying off workers all over America. And the Federal Reserve keeps raising interest rates. Um. I saw a commentator say, uh, he called it economic malpractice. That's what the Federal Reserve is doing. They know that higher rates are crushing the economy, but they believe more pain is needed. Uh, uh, what was it, a month or so ago, uh, Jerome Powell was doing an interview. Maybe it was after, I think it was after the last rate increase. And he mentioned the word pain three times. I don't recall ever hearing a Federal Reserve chairman mention the word pain once. He, three times in one The last time rates were this high was um, in 2007. That didn't work out so well, did it? <laughs> in 2008. We had the, ba- the worst economic decline since the Great Depression. Um, so if the goal of the Federal Reserve is to crush the economy, to crush the housing market, to crush the, real, uh, the commercial real estate market... To make people lose their jobs, uh, uh, to have bond portfolios crater, and banks fail, they've been pretty successful. And and they continue to do so. Uh, Another store going out of business. Tuesday morning is going out of business and closing all of its stores. The second major U.S. home goods retailer to go bust in recent days. They're closing their remaining 200 stores. And the Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates. Don't they understand what's going on out there, the Federal Reserve? They have to. They have 400 economists that work for them. And they're sabotaging the economy, the world economy, because it all hinges on the United States. Uh, Financial markets this week. (laughs) Boring. I just mentioned all the things that happened last week. We got concerns about the debt ceiling. We got big, the second biggest bank to fail. We got the Fed raising rates. And that's just the beginning of things to talk about. And the markets did nothing. The Dow was down one and a quarter percent for the week. Still up for the year, one and a half percent. The S&P 500 was down eight tenths of one percent for the week. Still up a robust 7.73 percent for the year. The Nasdaq was absolutely flat for the week. You don't see that too often. 0.00. Still up, or 16.9% for the year. All right? What a year we've had so far uh, in just four months. We have people losing confidence in the banks. We have the worst banking collapse uh, so far in history, you know, since the Great Depression. 
with more assets uh, moved into receivership at the FDIC than 2008, and the markets are up. Somebody explain that to me because I'm not that smart. I can't figure it out. Uh, 10-year Treasury yield actually dropped for the week, 3.44. The Fed raises interest rates a quarter of a point, and interest rates drop in the bond market. Uh, explain that to me. Uh, I guess the bond market believes, don't believe the Fed's going to continue to raise rates. Uh, I think they should really think twice about that. Mortgage rates still stumble, uh, stubbornly high, around 6.5%. Gold took off this week, as should be. Uh, gold hit a record high at one point during the week, $2,060 an ounce before being hit on Friday, down $33. Why? Uh, I guess the, the, the fake uh, employment number came out, and I guess the markets were worried that the Federal Reserve will see the good, strong, fake labor numbers uh, and have to raise interest rates longer and keep them higher longer. Uh, than previously thought, and low, uh, higher interest rates are not necessarily good for uh, precious metals. So they sold off a little bit. But they got ahead of itself. Gold closed around $2,020 an ounce, one of the highest uh, closes we've seen in history. Uh, silver, just under $26. Uh, oil prices, uh, which sank into uh, to about $67 a barrel earlier in the week, uh, rebounded on Friday, up almost three dollars a barrel, closing at seventy-one thirty-two. Gasoline is, you know, hovering right around three forty-five, three fifty, depending on where you are in the country, even higher. The U.S. dollar index, which uh, I follow closely because it really does show how the world views the dollar versus other currencies, and the problem with the dollar index. You know, it's they're all fiat currencies, uh, so you know it's not a real gauge of the value of the dollar. You got to look at the value of the dollar versus things like food, like oil, like gold, like silver, uh, and in that situation, the dollar is dropping. And that's the thing you have to understand: right? things don't go up in price; the dollar goes down in value. It's the opposite of what you think. It's not that the price goes up, the dollar goes down, in most cases. Now, if you have a shortage of eggs and egg prices go up, it's, that's not due to the dollar. That's due to chickens not laying eggs or whatever the reason is. Uh, so there is what are supply uh, uh, issues that could affect prices. But when you're talking about the price of gold, for instance, or the price of oil, you know, a lot of it has to do with the value of the currency that it's denominated in. And right now... In almost every Western currency, and a Western currency means fiat, meaning nothing backing it but confidence, there's the word again. Uh, uh, gold is at record highs in all currencies right now, or at least close to it. Whether you're talking the euro, the yen, the Australian dollar, and now the U.S. dollar. Is gold going up? No, it's not. It's the same. Gold doesn't change. Hasn't changed in 5,000 years. <laughs> Hasn't changed forever. An ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. Whether it's in the crust of the earth or in the form of a coin in your hand, it doesn't change. What changes is the value of that ounce in a currency. And we talked last month about you know famous historical inflations in the past. 
And in the Weimar Republic, in 1919, an ounce of gold was 187 marks. Four years later, it was 78 trillion marks. <laughs> 78 trillion marks. Uh, did, did gold go up? No, the mark disappeared. The mark vanished. That's what happened. The currency declined. Now, we've seen a slow but steady erosion of the U.S. dollar. Since 1971, when we went off the gold standard, the, the value of the dollar is down 97%. Well, it took 50 years, and it was slow and steady. But nonetheless, it lost 71%. And uh, where was gold in 1971? Well, in 1980, uh, it was $750 to $800 an ounce. But that's after it went up like four times since 1971. Uh, and today it's over 2000 So it's funny when people, you know, you hear some analysts out there saying gold's going to $10,000. And a lot of people say, wow, geez, that's, that's impossible. How could that be? Tell that to a German who lived during the Weimar Republic. $10,000, 10,000 marks. It went to 10,000 marks in one year and then went to 80, 78 trillion marks two years later. So 10,000 may be low. Maybe it's 10 trillion at some point in the future. Uh, And that's why it's so important uh, more than ever to protect yourself. And uh, hopefully a lot of the money that's flowing out of uh, banks, hopefully a lot of that money's flowing into precious metals. And I know I know for a fact it is. But, you know, precious metals are under-owned. Paul, how, what percent of investable assets in the world would you guess is invested in gold and silver? What percent in precious metals? In, in this country no, or no, no, the world? just the world. You know, just the world. You know, oh. investment. Investment funds, people's portfolios, you know, pension plans, insurance companies, you know, investment money. I would hope it would be high in no, the kidding. 80s. In the 80s. Okay. The real amount is one half of 1%. Oh, man. <laughs> so you're a little <laughs> off there, Paul. <laughs> no, 80% of assets aren't in gold and silver. I mean, that, would make, that wouldn't make sense. But I'm talking, I'm talking money in the bank. Money in mutual funds, money in uh, uh, stocks and bonds and all that. Gold makes up a very, very small portion of a portfolio, one half of 1%. And most portfolios have nothing. So it's the ones that have the smart money, let's say, hedge funds and stuff like that, that have gold and silver. And the biggest holders of gold and silver are central banks, all right? They have tons of it, literally, right? Uh, But no, it's on their own. So what would happen to gold and silver if... Just that moved up to 3%. There's just not enough in that market. There would be none available. And you would see, you want to see skyrocketing gold price. And this was going to happen. These days are not far off, in my opinion. So, you know, people ask me, Lou, is it too late to get into gold and silver? Well, go ask um, a German, if they're still alive, that in 1920, when gold uh, gold went from 187 marks in uh, 1919 uh, and by 1920, uh, it was worth 3,600 marks. Was that too expensive to buy at that time? No, because the next year it was 380,000 marks. Was it too late to buy at that time? No, because it was 3 trillion marks the next year. And then the next year it was 78 trillion. Uh, it's never too late.
That's my point. Now, could it go backwards a little bit and correct? Sure. But you got to understand the reason why you own it. And uh, you don't own it uh, for appreciation. You own it for protection. And that's financial insurance. So lots of things going on in financial markets and banking. And uh, we don't only know a fraction of it right now. Uh, you come in tomorrow morning and we can see 10 banks down 50% in the market and wonder what the hell's going on here. And uh, just get used to this because this is just the beginning. All right, top of the hour. Our number here is 732-237-9626. My name is Lou Skatigna. See you after the break. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. All right, time for hour two of our two-hour program here, the financial physician, where we talk money, markets, politics, and... uh, Anything that affects your crazy life, and uh, we bring it all to you here on the financial position. First hour tends to be financial markets, uh, things that are going on there. Second hour tends to be current events, politics, and the insanity of uh, the wokeness that we live through today. It truly is extraordinary, uh, the times that we're living in. If nothing else, it's interesting. The old Chinese proverb, right? May you live in interesting times. Uh, We certainly do. So before I move on to the insanity uh, that's life in 2023 in America, uh, I want to just touch on the debt ceiling again, because this is so important. Um, This is the story right now. I mean, this is now coming to the fruition. All right. It's Janet Yellen came out this week and stated that um, the debt, the country is going to run out of cash. They can't, you know, we're, we're, we're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. We're taking money from Social Security. We're taking money from the federal pension system. And we've, that's how we're staying afloat because we have, oh, by the way, we have $2 trillion deficit every year. So, you know, we got to borrow money. Uh, so we're a perpetual debt machine. We got to keep borrowing money and go further and further into debt. Well, that sounds like a recipe for success for a country, right? Uh, let's flash back to Weimar, right? Um, so uh, Biden finally caved and said, oh, okay, I'll meet and talk about the debt ceiling. But we're not going to do anything with it. Uh, and this is, a, this is, you know, he's delusional. I mean, of course he's delusional. He's senile. Uh, but... Uh, he uh, is going to meet with um, him. But meanwhile, you know, we're spending money like crazy. Listen to this. Uh, Biden administration is now offering a grant to help teach English in Pakistan by providing, in part, intensive professional development courses for Pakistani transgender youth. So we're going to spend, doesn't sound like a lot of money, right? Uh, uh, what, what is it here? How much does the money here? I said, uh... 
Where is the where's the amount? Um, five hundred thousand. Not a lot of money, but money we don't have, nonetheless. But you have to be transgender, kid, to get the the English uh, lessons. <laughs> According to the State Department, the project focuses on transgender youth as it does with other marginalized communities. Marginalized. And noted that the funds won't be used towards gender transitions. Okay. But this debt ceiling fight, you know, in the past, you know, the debt ceiling's been raised 104 times. So what do we call it a ceiling? I mean, really, you know, it's, it's going to be raised this time, too. The question now is, though, are we going to have the first default in U.S. history? And I think we very may well. And I think the Biden administration wants to do this. I mean, they could shut down parts of the government and buy more time, but I don't think they want to do it. I think they want to default because the default will be temporarily. It'll crash markets and everything else. And they could uh, blame those rascally Republicans for allowing it to happen, even though the Republicans passed a bill in the House to raise the debt ceiling. But it has some spending caps in it. And uh, the Democrats don't think cutting spending is a smart idea. And you have the small group of Republicans in the House that ran on fiscal responsibility, and they're not going to cave. As a matter of fact, I mean, uh, Speaker McCarthy is, is, is in a tough spot, and he knows it. If he caves, it'll cost him the speakership because they'll recall him. And, and he knows this. So are, are, is the GOP going to cave as usual? I think ultimately they will. I think they ultimately will. There'll be some kind of compromise. But Biden wants a clean raise. He wants $4.5 trillion raise without any strength. And it's going to come down to at least the last minute. And, and, and I, you know, it's just unsustainable. We can't keep borrowing. We can't keep having a $2 trillion deficit. The problem is, what do you cut? Most of the expenditures in this country are mandatory. Interest on the debt, which is a bigger percentage of our budget every single year. Of course, we keep going further into debt. Interest rates are rising on that debt. Very soon, we're going to have a trillion dollars in interest payments on the debt. You can't cut that, right? You can't cut Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. That's the majority of our budget right there. You could eliminate the energy department, the education department, the agricultural department, and it would make a dent, a small dent in the budget. So we're going to have trillions of dollars in deficits forever until the whole thing collapses. And debt keeps rising and rising each and every year. But not according to Joe Biden. Joe Biden said in his first year, he cut the debt by $1.7 trillion. Now, he may mean the budget, okay, because, you know, we had all that COVID spending uh, in 2020. Remember, you know, all the stimulus and all that other stuff. So my guess is he's thinking, uh, he's talking about the budget, but, you know, a senile person has trouble putting their thoughts together on things like this. Uh, And I got a number of things here that are very concerning. Now, I don't do this to embarrass him or or anything else or or to, to call him out. I feel bad for the guy. 
I really do. I mean, I feel bad for anybody. I have a lot of older clients who are dealing with Alzheimer's and, and cognitive issues, and it's extremely sad. And, and many of them are more cognitive uh, than he is, and they don't run the, the, the largest democratic country in the world. He doesn't either, but, you know, the bottom line. But, uh, but this is starting to get stupid. I mean, and they're running him again. That's the thing. So this is him. Let him let him say it. And how much you're going to tax work we cut. For example, in the first two years of my administration, I cut the debt by $1.7 trillion. $1.7 trillion anybody's ever done in history. Their budget goes in. And they, they, there's, no, there's no possibility they can pass their budget. Zero. Zero possibility. They cut... He doesn't know what he's saying. He lost his train of thought, right? Right. It's just uh, makes you feel really good, doesn't it? This is the guy who will get woken up in the middle of the night that Russia just launched a nuclear strike on New York. What do you want to do? Uh, is there any ice cream in the refrigerator? Can I have some ice cream first? What should I do? Tell me. And then you got uh, then you got this one. Well, let's let's continue on Biden. He had an MSNBC uh, interview this week, and it was just the whole start of the thing was a mess. For example, you're going to be able to get an Amtrak and instead of going through the tunnel in Baltimore at thirty miles an hour because nothing's been done under the Chesapeake Bay for under the, the Baltimore uh, the Baltimore area for. 80 years, they're going to be able to go at 100, through at 100 miles an hour. We're going to, they're going to see more, they're going to see railroads going from Syracuse to down to all the way down to New York, upstate New York. Anyway, to, to, to the city. But my, I guess what I'm saying, what I think that we're going to see is move. What did he just say, Paul? <laughs> what? I, I need an interpreter. Uh, what did the President of the United States just say? Uh, a railroad from Syracuse to New York, upstate. No, it's down uh, uh, under the river in Baltimore. The, 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 the train goes through the tunnel. Um, Chesapeake Bay kind of thing. Uh, does that make you feel good and confident in the United States leadership? I don't know. But the good thing is, though, we have Kamala Harris, you know, in the wings. And, you know, if he wins uh, election, if they could steal another election and uh, it, it, you know they say his approval rating is 38%. No, there's not. There's not 38% of Americans who want this guy to be president again, including many that de- most Democrats. I mean, it's 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 bogus. It's fake. Like everything else I said, don't believe anything you hear. If they say it's 38%, it's 10. As a matter of fact, uh there's reports out there that the actual if you do the right work and and, and don't Mess with the the demographics of your survey and everything else. You want to you you want to survey a bunch of freshmen uh, on a, a Berkeley campus. Uh, maybe you get thirty eight percent. But if you do a real survey, uh, it's more like ten. And they're running him for president again, knowing what the real approval rating is. Tell me the fix isn't in. Uh, uh, but you know maybe he gets reelected. They force him through, and then he resigns and, and goes. Uh, to the the funny farm, uh, and uh, and Harris comes in. Now she was talking this week at a small business conference, 
uh, that small businesses, their owners may identify as entrepreneurs. And you know, when I speak with small business owners and entrepreneurs, some of our younger small business owners actually self-identify as entrepreneurs. They're small business owners also. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll go with whatever you like. Small business owner entrepreneurs. So what is she doing? She's denigrating small business owners. They are entrepreneurs by definition. But not to Kamala Harris. <laughs> oh, identify with whatever you want. Uh, uh, she's just amazing. I mean, uh, th- these are the people that we have running the country. It's just, it's insanity. And every time she opens her mouth, it's word salad. It, 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 it doesn't make any sense. How does this person get to where they are in politics? Oh, I know. We all know that. <laughs> With the knee pads, right? Um, uh, and you know, I haven't had, I haven't had Rita on from Sky News in a long time. Rita Pahani is her name. She's a, a correspondent for Sky News. Sky News is like Fox uh, in Australia. It's a conservative news organization. Uh, they tell more of the truth than than Fox here does now, especially now. Uh, but listen to how foreigners view. Not only Joe Biden, but Kamala Harris. But first, let's check in with the most powerful woman in the world, the woman who is just one 80-year-old heartbeat away from becoming the leader of the free world. And what we love most about Kamala Harris on this show are her inspiring speeches. She gave another one this week. For us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, to see the moment in time in which we exist in our present And to be able to contextualize it, to understand where we exist in the history and in the moment as it relates not only to the past, but the future. Look, Rowan, I'm contextualizing it. Oh, yes, I can feel the moment in time. That moment is now in time. It really does make you think, doesn't it? That arousing speech was right up there with this career highlight from the beat. We all watched the television coverage of just yesterday. That's on top of everything else that we know and don't know yet. Based on what we've just been able to see, and because we've seen it or not doesn't mean it hasn't happened. But just limited to what we have seen. has an entire team working for her, including many professional speechwriters. And those people either loathe her with a burning passion or as hopelessly incompetent as she is. (laughs) This is what people think of America outside the country. Now, would you see NBC run that montage of two little speeches? No, of course not. Oh, God. I love Rita Pahaney. Unbelievable. I also love Senator Kennedy. Senator Kennedy is great. You know, uh, the Republicans in the House now uh, and the Senate, uh, uh, well, in the House especially because they're calling people up, but they have to um, confirm, you know, cabinet people and judges and everything else. So uh, he had on a, 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 a guy that's in charge of climate change, I believe. What, who is this person? Deputy Secretary of Energy, David Turk. He highlighted the absurdity of climate 
the whole climate change thing this week uh, to the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee hearing when Senator John Kennedy couldn't get a straight answer out of him over the cost of going carbon neutral. You know, these people are all left-wing Marxists. You know, they don't know any of the information. They just, blah, listen. Mr. Secretary, thanks for being here. I want to tap your expertise for a moment. Uh, give, give me uh, uh, give me your best estimate, just an estimate I know, uh, of, of uh, uh, how soon you think the United States of America will be carbon neutral. So uh, I think... According to the climate scientists around the world and certainly the cutting edge scientists that we need to rely on here in the U.S., we've got to get carbon neutral by 2050. And I'm very comfortable with that target. And I think that's the appropriate target. By 2050. Which is only 27 years. That is not a long time away. And and how much will that cost? So the cost that I focus on even more is all the costs that are going to happen if we don't get our act together. How much will it cost to get us carbon neutral? It's going to cost trillions of dollars, and it'll cost tens of trillions of dollars if we don't get our act together. How many trillions? I don't have the estimate or the numbers in front of me. I've seen a variety of different estimates, but it's a large amount. Fundamentally transforming our energy economy is a big deal. Tell me the estimates that you've seen. I don't have those numbers right on hand. So so you're advocating that we become carbon neutral, but you don't know how much it's going to cost. So there's an awful lot of estimates out there. It depends yeah, on technology you're, you're and the, movement. You're the, other kinds of you're the expert. I know. I know with how much it's going to cost. I know with the certainty of all the experts I've spoken about, it's cheaper to get our act together than it is to not get our act together on climate change. Okay. All right. So he won't answer because he doesn't know. But he's the undersecretary for energy that wants to fundamentally transform our energy to be carbon neutral in 27 years, but doesn't know what it'll cost because they don't care. See, they don't care how much it costs. Cost? Who cares about cost? We just print more money, right? It's how much it'll cost if we don't do it. Maybe we'll all die. Then tell me the cost versus the cost that we if we don't do it. I think it's orders of magnitude different. If we don't get back together, it's you don't you don't have a cost. You want us to get there, but you can't tell the American taxpayer how much it's going to cost. Is that your testimony? It's going to save us money, and there's a lot of jobs. Well, how do we know if you don't know how much it's going to cost? I'd be happy to pull up the latest numbers that I've seen. How about $50 trillion? Is that right? It's going to cost trillions of dollars. There's no doubt about it. Okay. If we spend trillions of dollars and we achieve, some of your colleagues estimate 50 trillion, and it disappoints me that you're not willing to give the estimates. I don't. I hope you're not telling me you have no idea how much it's going to cost. That creates a whole new host of problems. But but uh, if it costs fifty trillion dollars, as some of your colleagues have testified, to become carbon neutral by two thousand and fifty, and I'm all for carbon neutrality, by the way. How much is that going to lower world temperatures? Or how much is that going to reduce the increase in world temperatures? So every country around the world needs to get its act together. Our emissions are about 13% of global emissions. Yeah, but if you can answer my question, if we spend $50 trillion to become carbon neutral in the United States of America by 2050, you're the Deputy Secretary of Energy. Give me your estimate of how much that is going to reduce world temperatures. So so first of all, it's a net cost. Um, It's what... Uh, benefits we're having from getting our act together and reducing all of those climate benefits. We're seeing Let me ask again, maybe I'm, being, right now. maybe I'm not being clear. 
If we spent $50 trillion to become carbon neutral by 2050 in the United States of America, how how much is that going to reduce world temperatures? This is a global problem. So we need to reduce our emissions and we need to do everything we can. How much, if we do our part, part is it going to reduce so world we're, temperatures? So we're 13% of global emissions. You don't know, do you? <laughs> you don't know, do you? You can do the math. We need to. You don't know, do you, Mr. Secretary? <laughs> So we're 13% of if global If you know, why won't you we, tell me? If we went to zero, that would be 13%. You don't know, do you? You just want us to spend $50 trillion, and you don't have the slightest idea whether it's going to reduce world temperatures. Now, I'm all for carbon neutrality, but you're the deputy secretary of the Department of Energy, and you're advocating we spend trillions of dollars to seek carbon neutrality, and you can't, and this isn't your money and my money, it's taxpayer money, and you can't tell me how much it's going to lower world temperatures? There, or you won't tell me? You know, but you won't? In my heart of hearts, there is no way the world gets its act together on climate change unless the U.S. leads. Tell me how much it's the going US to reduce. You, you can't tell me. Either that or you won't. So I, I went long on it because it's so important to hear. These are the people that run your government. You see? There's a Marxist revolutionary takeover that's happened in our government. Think about all these people that have been put into place in bureaucracies, cabinet secretaries. It's these under people that you don't see, you, know, you don't know about, that run things. This is where the door, the deep state comes in. All right, These are the people. All right, uh, want to spend $50 trillion. But we don't have... I just laid out how we're going at the hyperinflation where uh, we have such deficits. And these people are so ideological. They believe that we could lower temperatures. Meanwhile, China isn't doing anything about it. It's like, you know, if you're the only one in the pool that's not peeing, there's still pee in the pool. Right? Uh, uh, Unless everybody on earth does the same thing. there's going to be no improvement. But these people, they either don't answer the question when asked. I've never seen hearings where people are asked questions and they don't answer the question. Something as simple as define a woman for me. They won't answer that question when asked again and again and again. All right. But it's not only that. It's all the things they ask. And when they do answer, they lie to you. Let's talk the border. The border, what do we have? Six million people come in so far, dispersed all around the country. Oh, by the way, without any COVID tests. Oh, the Biden administration finally abandoned U.S. COVID vaccine travel requirements. You know, people coming into the country still until the 11th of May can't come in the United States without being vaxxed. We're the only country left. The crisis has been over for months, if not a year. You can travel everywhere in the world, but nobody can come to the United States without a vaccination. So they're finally dropping it. But this whole time, if you come into the United States by crossing the border illegally, that's fine. You don't need a vaccination. You can come in with typhoid and tuberculosis and God knows what else. So Mayorkas who's instrumental, the Homeland Security Secretary, this guy should be impeached. I mean, this guy should go. I mean, he's doing the opposite of everything to make the homeland secure by opening the border. And then he lies about it. Listen to this. He always says the border is secure and not open. 
The border is not open. It has not been open, and it will not be open subsequent to May 11th. The border is not. <laughs> it's not. See what they lie right to your face. How can you tell me the border is not? This was this week. He said that. And then you got Corinne Jean Pierre, or whatever. I can't never remember her name. KGP. Uh, she, uh, she comes out, you know, Peter Ducey asks her about immigration and this is what she says. Uh, when it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down, uh, by more than 90%. And that's because of this act, the actions that this president has to, uh, when it comes. So she's saying the immigra- illegal immigration is down 90%. Did you know that Paul? I mean, 90%. What a job they're doing down here. Don't trust your lying eyes when you look on TV on Fox, or at least it used to be Fox, uh, where you see streams of people coming in. Don't listen to the border agents. Don't listen to the pictures of the thousands of people under the bridge. 90% cut. What a damn good job. And the border's secure and not open. Now, you have Title 42 coming to an end next week, I think. There's like hundreds of thousands of people who are staged in Mexico to to swarm the border as soon as that happens. Hundreds of thousands. But the border's not open. All right? I mean, this how he said it. He's the Homeland Security guy. Now, the next day, um, I mean, this was such an outrageous statement by KGP that 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 immigration's down 90%. It's up. 600%, 600%, whatever the number is, uh, that she had to kind of walk it back because Ducey, uh, you know, challenged her on it again. Again, she tries to wiggle out of it by using one little program, which isn't true. Um, amazing. These people, I tell you, they lie right to your face. Everything is a lie. You can't believe anything that you're told. Oh, by the way, the IRS has spent uh, $10 million on weapons since COVID-19 pandemic began. Uh, this from the Epoch Times. The Eternal Revenue Service has been splashing out millions, stocking up on guns, ammunition, and combat gear since 2020. According to the findings of Open the Books, a watchdog group that tracks government spending. The report published on April 27 found that the agency has spent a total of $10 million on weaponry and gear since COVID-19 pandemic begun, including $2.3 million on duty ammunition, $1.2 million on ballistic shields, and another $1.3 million on various other gear for criminal investigation agents. 
Um, an armed IRS, military-style equipment. Why? Why would that be necessary? Um, and of course, now uh, the IRS is getting eighty billion dollars more uh, money uh, and hiring what eighty thousand more people to go after us. Um, then they're going to be targeting average Americans. But what are they going to do? Show up at your house with a gun? Put it to your head and say, pay us now? Unbelievable. I mean, these things, you can't make this stuff up? Uh, All right, let's take a quick break. 732-237-9626 is the call number if you want to be part of our program. My name's Luz Katigna. Don't go away. I'm Luz Katigna, certified financial planner, author, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician. Heard each Sunday morning, 7 to 9, right here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at thefinancialphysician.com. Don't let interest rates, inflation, and market volatility keep you awake at night. Come to my Tom's River office for a no-obligation, professional diagnosis of your financial health. I'll review your investments, income taxes, and retirement plan. I'll suggest a comprehensive financial and estate plan that will improve your financial health, and most importantly, lower your financial risk during these uncertain times. If you are retired or planning to retire, I will show you strategies designed to increase your income and protect your estate from nursing home costs. Call us at 732-905-8100 and get on the road to a healthy financial future. That's 732-905-8100. Join me Sunday mornings, 7 to 9, for The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 WOBM or listen to the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member of FINRA and SIPC, registered investment advisory service to move Advisory Group. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. If you're a small business, your expertise is taking care of customers. Our expertise is saving you time and money. We're the state's New Jersey Business Action Center. NJ Back. Get answers about government resources that can help you grow and thrive. From how to be a vendor with government to your business to finding capital. We've got your back at the back. Call us at 1-800-JERSEY-7. That's 1-800-JERSEY-7. This message sponsored by the New Jersey Business Action Center, the New Jersey Broadcasters Association, and this station. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. The following is a paid program. Views contained within do not necessarily reflect those of the staff management or sponsors of Town Square Media. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. 
All right, Luce Katigna here, Certified Financial Planner and your money doctor. Each and every Sunday live right here on 92.7 WOBM, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Again, each and every Sunday, if you're not a morning person or you're going to church or you miss any of the show, just go to thefinancialphysician.com and we have the entire two-hour podcast available right at 9 o'clock. As soon as the show's over, we upload it. And it's available to you. Share it. Put it on social media. Send it to your friends and family. Uh, You don't want to be the only one informed on what's really happening in this world. Um, And in two hours a week, we try to to give you that information. Uh, There's not enough time, though. But we try to squeeze in as much as we can on our two-hour program. And you don't want to miss a minute of The Financial Physician. And just go to thefinancialphysician.com. Now, I plan on doing a lot more with the podcast. Um, Like I said, two hours isn't enough. So I'm going to start expanding it. I'm going to do midweek, you know, short podcasts. I'm not going to do two hours, but, you know, maybe it's a 20-minute update on something. Uh, So you want to give us your email. Go to thefinancialphysician.com. It'll pop up where it offers you a free... um, uh, a free copy of a PDF of my book, The Financial Physician, How to Cure Your Money Problems, Boost Your Financial Health. So you can get that free of charge, share that with people. Uh, but give us your email, and we'll just send you an email. Uh, new videos up. Uh, we put videos up on the website. Uh, we're going to put you know midweek podcasts. We're going to do a lot more with the podcast. Uh, maybe eventually go into a daily podcast. Uh, we'll see how that works. So um, make sure you're notified uh, by being on our email list at thefinancialphysician.com. Now, my email is lou at thefinancialphysician.com. So uh, if you have a personal finance questions, we're getting a lot of them now. People are very, very concerned. They're concerned about their money in the bank. And if you missed the first hour, you certainly want to tune into that. We talked all about the banking crisis uh, and uh, how it's getting worse. And uh, is your bank in trouble? We don't know. Uh, but it's cascading very, very quickly. Uh, and it's only going to get worse as the year uh, progresses. And this is a contagion kind of thing. You know, uh, as people lose confidence, uh, and there was a professor from Stanford uh, who came out and said half of the 4,800 banks in the United States are insolvent. Half. Is uh, that your bank? I don't know. But uh, there's no reason to keep a lot of money in banks. You have alternatives. You have U.S. Treasury money market funds. Uh, you have gold and silver. Um, you don't have to have your money in a bank. They're not paying you anything anyway. It was bad enough when they're paying paying you a fraction of 1% interest. It's funny. I, I just got done with my tax season. People come in with their 1099s from Wells Fargo. $2.65 on a $50,000 <laughs> savings account. Uh, or $10 or $12. Why do you have your money in a financial institution? Put it in a shoebox under your bed. You're better off. Anyway, uh, so if you missed any of the show, go to thefinancialphysician.com, listen to the podcast of the program, and share it. Uh, what other craziness can we uh, squeeze in uh, in the last half hour that we have here? Uh, let's see. Uh I'm going to choose. Which one do I want to choose? It's so hard. Oh, by the way, uh, <laughs> Tucker Carlson, you know, he was fired or the show was shut down from uh, Fox News a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's still employed at the, you know, you don't hear much from him, right? Because he's still employed uh, until the end of 2024. He's getting a paycheck. Now, I'm sure he's lawyers are in negotiation with Fox to release him from that contract. 
But they don't have to. They could just keep him on contract, pay him, uh, and just silence him. And I'm sure he has a no-compete. He can't compete. He can't do anything. Uh, but I'm sure that he will be released from the contract at, at some point down the line. Now, uh, they bud-lighted themselves, of course, Fox News. Uh, since they uh, shut down his show, ratings are down 50%. 50%. And this is across the board. It's not just his show. It's every show on Fox, especially in the most important primetime lineup. Fox was number one for years in every hour. And now they're getting beat by MSNBC. That was the bottom. Are you insane? Are these people on Fox insane? Yes, they are. Subscriptions to Fox Nation plummeting. I canceled mine. First day. How to destroy a company. We're getting like, uh, in the future, you're going to see business courses on what not to do. If you want your company to be successful and profitable and stay in business, don't get woke. Don't become political in a divided country. NBC beats. And next week, I think, is it next week? Trump's going to do a CNN town hall. Talk about Trump rubbing their noses in it. <laughs> Isn't that something? That's great. Uh, we'll see how that works out for him. Uh, that's not going to be friendly. Uh, we'll see how that works. But he can handle himself. Uh, there's even talk that uh, uh, Tucker Carlson may host an alternative uh, RNC debate, in which Trump said he would take part in it. Uh, instead of going to Fox News or whatever, or wherever the RNC wants it to be. Because Trump's saying, I'm not going to participate in any debates. I, I don't need to. I'm so far ahead. Why waste my time? Uh, but now he's saying, if Tucker Carlson does it, uh, I'll, 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 I may participate. Tucker Carlson's going to be just fine, by the way. I don't feel bad for him. Uh, he got a $100 million offer. Did you hear about that? $100 million he got? Uh Patrick Bet David, CEO of online content company Valuetainment, apparently this is a big company, I never heard of it, offered former Fox News host Tucker Carlson a $100 million deal over five years, plus a board seat at the company. Dear Tucker, I'll get right to the point. We want you to partner with us in what we feel is a noble and necessary effort to define the future of media. Uh, $100 million over five years and an equity stake in Valuetainment and a position as the president of Value Entertainment, a board seat, and other content Carlson may be interested in covering. Free rate. Um, our convictions about freedom, liberty, and truth run deep, and we believe we are the absolute right fit for you and America. That's only one of God knows how many offers this guy is getting. MSNBC, Rachel Maddow dominated Fox News on Monday, May 1st. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How's that working out for you, Murdochs? Oh, by the way, they're stock creator, too. If I was a stockholder, I would sue the hell out of this company. And now you see what they're doing? They're trying to uh, sully up Tucker Carlson with leaks. Of videos and things of him during breaks, you know, talking badly about the company. It's just backfiring on them. It's unbelievable. Oh, by the way, Newsmax ratings are skyrocketing. <laughs> skyrocketing. The best thing that ever happened to Newsmax is Fox, what they just did. 
Well, maybe Tucker will wind up at Newsmax. I don't know. Uh, it's insanity, this wokeness. And uh, how about um, Bud Light? Sales down 26.1% the week ending April 22nd versus a year ago because they had the transsexual guy doing a campaign. Sales of rival brands Coors Light and Miller Light each grew 21% during the same period. Oh, people don't stop drinking beer. They just stopped drinking Budweiser beer. I've seen YouTube videos where someone's walking around. um, I don't know what store it is. Uh, but you could see just cases and cases of Bud Light and Budweiser products stacked up because nobody's buying them, uh, and the other parts of the the cool the, the the refrigerated case is empty, except for the Budweiser section. Again, because they wanted to be woke, and they wanted to be more inclusive and equitable, and it's hurting the distributors. Um. It sends shockwaves through distributors, according to Jeff Wheeler, vice president of marketing for Del Papa Distributing near Houston, Texas, adding that his staff has fielded tons of phone calls from people being very hateful, (laughs) very hateful. The the two Bud Light marketing executives responsible for this have been placed on administrative leave in the wake of the controversy. Why not be fired? Administrative leave? You just destroyed the company. Who keeps their job after being responsible for a 26% downturn in sales in a couple of weeks? I mean, these numbers are staggering. I mean, 26% of a company the size of of Anheuser-Busch. It's incredible. And again, just like Fox has pushed all its its viewers over to Newsmax, but... Uh, Anheuser-Busch has just pushed everybody over to Coors Light and Miller Light and everything else. It's just unbelievable uh, how crazy this stuff is. It's just crazy. I mean, what did they think were going to happen? Oh, here's some really good news in my opinion. It came out yesterday. Um, I think uh, maybe Friday. Uh, Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, is resigning. Oh, if she wants to get out of Dodge, well, well, why is that? But she said, I've never been prouder of anything I've done in my professional career than my reaction to COVID. Yeah, then what? why are you quitting then? Um, all the misinformation that they put out regarding forcing people to take the vaccine and everything else, got people dropping dead all over the place. But you won't hear about it that much. Right, And I, I see these headlines every day, every day, 20, 30 of these. And these are the ones, these are famous people that, that, that people, you know, they make it to the news. How many people we don't know? U.S. sprinter, Olympic medalist Tori Bowie dies at 32. She was an Olympic, Olympic medalist in the 2016 Rio de Janeiro Games. Bowie's death was announced Wednesday by her management company. No cause of death was given. No cause. Died suddenly. That's the cause. Rest in peace. Kristen Miami Mitchell, dead at 36, top female trailblazer wrestler. 
suddenly dies as tributes pour in. Uh, No cause of death was given. No cause of death. How about Jamie Foxx? Been in a hospital since April 11th with a medical emergency. Nobody will say what the medical emergency is. What is that? The family's asking for prayers. Well, what am I praying for? That he recovers from his heart attack, his stroke? What is it? Oh, by the way, all SAG members, String Actors Guild, of which he is one, were mandated to get vaxxed and boosted. Can't be that, right? Can't be that. Now, if it wasn't enough where they're trying to get us all to take this experimental poison, um, at least five states now have introduced bills restricting the use of controversial mRNA technology or gene therapies on livestock and demand full disclosure to consumers on product packaging. Apparently now, it wasn't enough that they, they, they jabbed us with all this stuff. Now they want to put it in our food, right? Because there's too many of us that didn't want the vaccine, but you're going to get it one way or the other. Uh, we're going to put it in your food. We're going to, you know, we have bird flu out there, so let's inject all the birds so when you eat your eggs in the morning, you're going to get your spike protein. Nice to get a little spike in the beginning of the day, isn't it? So uh, some states, North Dakota, Tennessee, Arizona, Idaho, and Missouri, uh, you know, want at least these products labeled. I want to know if I'm taking gene therapy poison. I mean, we label everything in the world. I mean, GMO, GMO, non-GMO, grass-fed, organic, the ingredients... And they're not going to list mRNA vaccine? Paul, you know one of the components is named that make up the mRNA? Luciferase. Do you know that? That's not ominous at all. No, not at all. <laughs> it's the jab from Satan. Uh, look it up. Luciferase. It's a, it's a compound that is in the mRNA vaccine. You want to talk about the, the mark of the beast? Luciferase. I want a shot of that. Sounds good. Uh, Colorado Teachers Union passes a resolution declaring capitalism inherently exploits children in public schools. That's right. Education in America. You got to love it. Uh, the Colorado Education Association reportedly passed a resolution that declares that capitalism inherently exploits children, public schools, land, labor, and resources. The final version of the resolution that was passed states that CE believes that capitalism requires exploitation of children. Capitalism is in opposition to fully addressing systemic racism, climate change, patriarchy, Gender and LGBTQ elemental P disparities, education inequality, and income inequality. However, a screenshot captures an earlier draft of the resolution that included the call, a call to replace capitalism with a new equitable economic system. We have right now a Marxist revolution going on, and it's being led by the schools. The indoctrination camps 
Um, this is 39,000 education workers a part of this union. I wonder how many of them actually agree with this. I bet you most. I bet you most. So these teachers unions are, are pushing this far left ideology on our kids, on us. And God forbid you question it at an at a educational board meeting. You'll be labeled a terrorist. And then uh, how about the NEA, which is the largest national union? For us at the NEA, educational justice must be about racial justice. It must be about social justice. It must be about climate justice. It must be about all those things. For our students to be able to come to school ready to learn every day, we can never think of education as an isolated system because everything connects our students' ability to learn. So we have to talk about housing justice, food inequality, and the reality that we all just went through a global pandemic together, and of course, it was the most marginalized communities suffering. Unbelievable. Uh, this, is, this is why you send your kids to school for this? Really? Uh, there's something else uh, that came out this week regarding education I thought we should touch on. Uh, if I could find it. Uh, something about uh, eighth graders had the lowest... Record uh, eighth graders had record low U.S. scores in history, civic scores in 2022. Right. The Education Department on Wednesday, you want to talk about an oxymoron. Released the first federal history and civics testing data since covid pandemic. The data shows that the last few years have erased the progress made since the 1990s on eighth grade students knowledge of history and civics. Only 13% of 8th graders met proficiency standards for U.S. history last year. 13%. Well, they're too busy teaching them that they're victims of racism uh, and that even though they're a guy, they may be a girl. And what's your pronouns? And that the United States is an evil country of imperialists and capitalism is wrong. Did it have to do with COVID and the shutdowns? Yes, I'm sure that's part of it. But maybe that's not all of it. Only 1% of students who took a test were rated as advanced in U.S. history. They don't want you to know U.S. history. All right? Or they've changed it. They've rewritten it. Remember, Thomas Jefferson is to be vilified, not praised, because he owned slaves back then, you see? Um, statues are to be taken down of our uh, founding fathers. So maybe it's better they don't know history because they're going to know revisionist history. They're not going to know the real history of America and that what a great country this country was, at least was. History and civics were the two most dismal subjects as far as how many students were proficient of all subjects. I think it's rather important that children learn the history of the United States accurately. And this is, this is a national concern. I mean, our children are not being taught the history of our own country. I mean, if you want to have a healthy democracy in a country, you have to have informed, engaged citizens who understand where you come from. 
Uh, by the way, math and reading scores also suffered over the pandemic. Education Department said that uh, math scores plummeted among fourth and eighth graders in almost every state. Scores have also sunk across the country, erasing three decades of progress. Eighth graders scored an average of 274 out of 500 in math. Eight points lower than 2018. That's still that's a half. That's 50% of, a, a, of what a good score would be, a, a perfect score would be. Their average on reading was 260 out of 500, about lower. But, the, you know, but now 25% are non-binary in school. They're not sure. Those scores are going up. CRT scores. Gender scores. People learn a lot about all this stuff. (sighs) Slowly but surely, the U.S. military is being destroyed. Uh, first, it was through the max mandatory vaccinations that are, are having unbelievable uh, ramifications through the readiness of the United States, especially our Air Force and Navy pilots who are having cardiac issues. Uh, many of them are not cleared to fly. Um, but look, the insanity of, of the insanity, I said last week, is being rationalized and normalized. The Department of Defense wonders why uh, every branch has missed their recruitment goals this year. The Navy's going to fall short 6,000 sailors in 2023. So right now, what they're going to do, they're going to enlist a drag queen as a digital ambassador to attract more recruits. A drag queen. Boy, this this isn't your father's Navy. This isn't your father's... Can you imagine, during, any, any Vietnam veteran out there, uh, can you imagine if a guy identified as a girl in your platoon and wanted to be addressed as she or he or, or her? Uh, they wouldn't last long in that platoon. But meanwhile, this is, this is your military right now at a time when we may be on the verge of World War III. Total insanity. All right, it goes so fast here. This is the fastest two hours. I tell you, I spend each and every week two hours here. Hosting The Financial Physician, thanks so much for joining us. Remember the website, thefinancialphysician.com, where we have the podcast of the show up right after the program. So if you're just tuning in, you missed a great program, please share it with your friends and family. My email address is lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Love your emails. My office number, now more than ever, come on in for a financial review. Complimentary, 732-905-8100. Remember, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. Have a great week.